0: Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man of the year 2099. That's me, ready to save the universe and looking good while doing it. Welcome to Accelerated Visions with your host, Gil Mancha. This is my chronological discussion of the Spider-Man of the future, Spider-Man 2099. Disclaimer, I will be actively getting and collecting volumes and other collections as we go, and I will only be covering issues I can get physically. I'm going to try to stray away from digital because I love physical media, but the Marvel Unlimited app would be a great way to keep up with the podcast. We'll of course start in the 90s with the original self-titled comic. There's a few others, some miniseries, and even video games we can discuss, and trust me, I'd love to discuss the games down the line. All that said, let's go back to today's issue, Spider-Man 2099, number one. His first full comic. Links will be in the podcast notes. This issue was published on November 1st, 1992. Let's take a look back at what else was happening that day in history. If you're reading this comic and you're in either the US or the UK, you'll likely be listening to End of the Road by Boys to Men, since it was the top of the music singles in both those regions. Under Siege, starring Steven Seagal, was top of the box office. Probably closer to the theme of the comic, Killing in the Name of by Rage Against Machines was released the next day on the 2nd. I wish it had been on release day instead because it kind of fits better. I haven't seen Under Siege, but I'll add that to my watch list because it's free on Prime Video. So if you want to get into that 9092 mood, then listen to Boys to Men and crack open the comic. That's a taste of what the world was like when Spider-Man 2099 number 1 was published. I'm reading this from the new Spider-Man 2099 Omnibus Volume 1. I actually do have the number 1 original newsstand edition from 1992 that I bought from a flea market. I even framed it and put it up on my wall for display. The red foil looks really cool. Now I did say this was his first full comic. This is true, but it's not his first appearance in a comic book first time readers would have seen Spider-Man 2099 in Web of Spider-Man number 90 as a gatefold poster with Peter Parker Spider-Man. No story, just a picture. This comic was written by Peter David, penciled by Rick Linardi, inker Al Williamson, colorist Steve Buscellato, letterer Rick Parker, and editors Joey Cavallari and Sarah Massoff. The cover has the future city, flying cars, lasers, techie buildings with a red tech border around the cover. First and foremost, we have a big image of Spider-Man 2099 himself. His hands are open and his left hand even has razor sharp retractable talons out. It might be my own history with the comic, but it screams iconic to me. Let's check out the About This Issue section on the Marvel Unlimited app for this issue. New York 2099. Five teens cruise the skies above the city in their Whisper 3000 hover car. But in this future society, the people still need a Spider-Man. Introducing Spidey 2099, Cooler Tech, Bigger Baddies. There's a lot to cover, but they gave the vaguest of summaries. It's Spider-Man, but in the future. New tech, but decides to include the first bit about the teens in the car that has no bearing on anything other than existing in the first couple of pages. After the break, we'll summarize the issue. I don't understand why aren't Anti Venom's powers, draining Hisoka's mine, are radiation based? If you have to know. Didn't know. Don't care. What' it do, guys? Manjreman here, and if you like board games, especially deck-building games, you should check out at Team Underscore Thunder on YouTube. There we have unboxings and games of Legendary, a Marvel deck-building game, the DC deck-building game, the Transformers deck-building game, and many more. That's also where you can find VODs for this, Donna Pod, and Water Damage in Aquaman Podcast, where you can directly leave a comment and we can discuss the issues. Ah, it was a good warm-up, so when do I get a real challenge? The narrator's yellow text says it's in New York in the year 2099. Many things have changed. There's a group of five teens cruising the skies in their Whisper 3000 hover car. One of the teams thinks that they'll get caught, while the other one doesn't. They'll say that the Flyboys never come up this high. The crosswinds scare them away, and as that teen is about to call them a foul name, another team notices something and says, what the shock is that, while pointing at something. The yellow text at the bottom says, on the other hand, there are some things, turn the page, that remain depressingly the same. We have a two-page spread of Spider-Man 2099 being chased by the aforementioned flyboys, who address themselves as authorized representatives of the public eye. They order Spider-Man to halt. A second flyboy yells to the others to get the idiot kids out of there, so a closer flyboy orders the teens to vacate the area. He notes that all such vehicles are forbidden. They are to go home where the car will be confiscated because the registration has already been noted. They give their final warning to Spider-Man before utilizing deadly force. One is amazed by how fast he is and he's admonished for admiring Spider-Man. Spider-Man slips between buildings and two of the Flyboys follow him while the rest go off to cut him off on the other side. The two mention to each other that Alchemex prefers him to be alive and one says he wants to keep himself alive too. He looks up and sees Spider-Man wall crawling as they're off to do. They start firing warning shots and he jumps off the building and goes into a free fall. One thinks he's about to die, but the other is oddly perceptive because he knows he's just trying to get out of their range and he'll break his fall with the webbed airfoils on his costume. One flyboy, Estevez, targets Spider-Man, but as he's aiming at him, Spider-Man lands on him, but before he can shoot, Spider-Man slashes Estevez's face with his talons. Spider-Man yells for people to get out of the way as a speeder crashes into the ground. Estevez is being very dramatic, as he's bleeding out, and Spider-Man tried to kill him, who saves him from the crashing speeder and tells him to shut up. Onlookers seem pretty happy to see a flyboy crashing. The flyboys find Estevez on the ground, and they get him some medical help. Esti, as he's known, points them to Spider-Man's direction but he's already gone. Lost in a big group of people. One says, ah shock, get used to that. At Babylon Tower, a subsidiary of Alchemex, we see a man enter an apartment. It's too bright so he sets the lights to a quarter. It's cool because it's like smart lights today. His name is Miguel and his AI assistant gives him the time, weather, and forecast. The AI is a hologram woman that reads Miguel's biometrics which have accelerated heart rate and pulse, he's aware. The AI, named Lila, starts showing him his six messages. One is a man named Tyler that wants to work something out with Miguel because apparently Miguel needs some drug Tyler can get. Miguel tells hologram Tyler to get run over by a train. The next hologram message is from Gabe, who apparently Miguel has been avoiding. Gabe says the whole corporate raider program is a nasty piece of work and Miguel is a nasty part of it. But we don't get any more information on the matter because Miguel deletes the rest of the message. The next message is from a woman who calls him Honey. She's frightened for him. Apparently he'd been strung out on drugs the other day and he'd ghosted everyone. Turns out the message is from his fiance, who has a black eye. As she's asking him not to leave her hanging, he deletes the message and all the three others from his fiance, Dana. Lila informs Miguel that his actions aren't within normal parameters for his usual domestic activities and hasn't made journal entries for five days. He cuts her off and tells her to go into journal mode. Now it's Miguel telling what happened prior. A man is telling Miguel O'Hara that he's the project lead, but he answers to Mr. Stone so Miguel answers to him, to which Miguel tells him he'll stick to one-syllable words to compensate. The tour in a lab with some technicians in the background. The man's name is Aaron. Aaron doesn't care if Miguel is one of the greatest hopes of Alchemex, if he was given a full university treatment, and is head of the genetics program. He doesn't have respect for the system of command. Here's where we get my quote of the issue. Son of a... Computer, this laboratory has been compromised. Initiate self-destruct sequence. 10 seconds. 10 seconds? That's barely enough time to come up with a clever explosion-related quip. Ooh, that must really burn you up. So long, Spider-Man. It's been a blast. Ah, she's good. Miguel tells him, I have respect for the system, Aaron, just not for you. To which Aaron says, listen, smart guy, I've kept my mouth shut up to now. And Miguel quickly interjects, and don't think we haven't appreciated it. Clearly, the two are at odds, and Miguel is full of snarky retorts in this retelling of events. Aaron tells him if he doesn't shape up, he'll break Miguel, who tells him, you break me, you bought me. Miguel then gets a little more serious by telling Aaron how they've been doing very well in their research and altering the genetic structures of test animals. He even has inspiration for other research. The inspiration is the original Spider-Man from the Heroic Age. Proportionate strength of a spider, when Aaron asks what that means, he tells him it means he didn't get a swelled head about it. Miguel thinks someone like that would make an ideal corporate raider. Being able to jump 50 feet, scale walls, be strong, agile, they won't go too quickly otherwise when aaron asks what he means otherwise miguel takes another shot at him by saying they'd lose him gonna take it nice and slow so he understands and he'll love the book's pictures mr stone walks in and agrees with aaron that alchemix wants results miguel disagrees because alchemix doesn't want anything because it's a corporation which is a legal thing A person can have wants and would want to know. A person can have wants and be aware if a reckless testing would be done on them. Tyler Stone interjects by asking him if his father was still alive, do you know what he'd say? Miguel guesses, help, help, get me out of this coffin? No. He'd say caution is the first refuge of the coward, and he'd say that because he loves the sound of his own voice? Because it's true. Stone has brought a prisoner who volunteered for the Raider program in lieu of aging 40 years as his punishment. Miguel protests and warns Mr. Sims against this, but it's his only chance to commute his sentence. Aaron makes fun of him for not standing up to Mr. Stone, but Miguel tells him if he left the project, then Mr. Sims' life would be in Aaron's hands, and his chances would be between zero and none. Miguel's his only shot. Miguel talks to Mr. Sims, who's in the procedure chair. Starting simple, they just want to imprint DNA onto him that would ideally give him augmented strength. Aaron asks Miguel. What about the spider infant program that he was talking about earlier? Miguel turns it down because that's a total DNA rewrite and could turn him into a hideous mutated freak. Or worse, you. As they bring the device to full power, Miguel tells Aaron that he got the design for the transformation chamber from an old hollow, which I think is future speak for movie, The Fly. He tells Aaron he'd love it. It's about someone who gets turned into a disgusting creep, so he'd totally relate. Aaron tells him, You can't fool me. You whip, but I know you're terrified you're about to fail. Miguel tells him, you got me. Silly old me was scared about risking a human life. What could I have been thinking? They open the egg-shaped chamber, turn the page to see a strong hand choking Miguel. The mutated Sims is choking Miguel, who's gasping for someone to get Sims off of him. He apologized and even asked someone to shoot him with something. Like a trink. Sims collapses dead. Although he died, Aaron notes that he did just break his restraints effortlessly, so it's clearly a partial success, a positive outcome. Miguel's just standing there, rubbing his neck. Cut to Mr. Stone's office and Miguel throws his badge across the desk, resigning. Tyler Stone tells him he needs to relax and offers him some wine from 1994, which would have been 105 years old, but in real life wouldn't be out for another two years since this was released in 1992. Miguel initially turns out to drink. He doesn't want to be part of those kinds of experiments and definitely doesn't want to party with him. Tyler notes that Alchemix has groomed you, educated you like your father, who was brilliant. That means he's dead, but Miguel doesn't seem fazed by that. Tyler tells him, it's obvious you've made up your mind. You're perfectly free to leave our family. In fact, if you go to Roxon, Stark, Fujikawa, Cynthia, or any other place, they'll send nothing but the highest recommendations. Finally, Miguel accepts the drink, and as he's sipping it, Tyler tells him, of course, I'm still hoping you'd reconsider. Miguel asks Tyler if he's had some kind of synaptic meltdown. He's leaving, and now that he's made the decision, he's feeling more relaxed than ever. Tyler says that relaxation is due in part to his parting gift. A drug named Rapture that he put into the wine. He tells Miguel, our records say that you've never tried it. Which I figured was due to how expensive it is, so consider this a present. Miguel calls him a creeping piece of... And Tyler cuts him off saying, or maybe you pass on it due to how addictive it is. Once it's in your system, you need it the way you need oxygen to breathe. Without Rapture now, you'll die. Tyler taunts Miguel saying how he probably wants to hit him, but thinks Miguel will want to be on his good side since Alchemex is the only authorized Rapture distributor. He taunts further saying maybe that's the reason he never partook in Rapture. Of course he can still walk away, but he won't like the consequences. Miguel stumbles away holding his head. Tyler has a car bring him home. He tells Miguel not to fight the rapture, otherwise he can be nasty, and hopes he can become a member of Alchemix for a long time to come, smiling the whole time. At home, Dana and Lila are doing an aerobic routine when Miguel comes in. Ugh. Seeing him unwell, Dana freezes the program. She goes to console him, asking him if he's sick, and in his drug state, swipes at her, telling her to get away. This knocks him out of it, and he tells her he didn't realize it was her. He thought it was a. She tells him to keep away from her. He tells her he feels like dirt and she agrees that he should and asks why he did it. He explains it was a rapture. He was seeing monsters everywhere. Dana surprised. Rapture? Since when do you use that? Since Tyler slipped it into his drink as an incentive to stay. She's surprised he was quitting because he hadn't mentioned it. He's okay now, but he can feel the need growing, gnawing at him. Dana says she knows people that can get him some on the black market and he attacks saying, you want him to become a drug addict his whole life? No, she wants him to not be hurt, that's all. Later on, he's overridden the security computer. He knows by morning he'll be a hopeless addict. Luckily for him, he has his own DNA on file. He's been using it to imprint his own DNA onto apes. He disrobes and gets into the transformation chamber. If it works, he'll basically be loading an old save file on his life. However, we see Aaron creeping up. He goes to the controls and pumps up the levels of every piece of equipment in the imprint sequence. He presses buttons... To spite Miguel. Before, the Miguel DNA was at 100. Now it's 50 Miguel and 50 from the Spider-Man project. He manly overrides the equipment that was trying to stop for safety concerns. Then, there's an explosion. How'd you like that, Mr. Genius? Mr. Smart Mouth Wisecracker? Aaron was surprised Miguel was still alive and seemingly unharmed. Since he wasn't aware Aaron was even there, let alone messing with the controls, he approaches the naked Miguel. He taunts Miguel, asking... How he'd explain him wrecking the equipment in a temperamental rage. It'll finish him. Aaron will be back in charge doing things the way they should be. He grabs Miguel and tells him to turn around so he can look at him while he taunts him. Turn around before I kick you from here to... To... A look of shock covers his face and you turn the page. Miguel's face looks monstrous. More intense he has pronounced fangs and talons now coming out of his fingers and thumb. His eyes are full white but not a word is spoken. That's where the issue ends. Next, nothing ventured. After the break, we'll go over some thoughts and feelings about the issue. Our reality is coming apart at the seams. And now I see why. The two gateways created a link between our times. Together. Across the expanse of time. We must defeat our enemies. And defy death itself. No! Not this time! This being the first in the series, there's a lot to explain and I'll try to remove previous knowledge and judge it by what were presented here that day in the early 90s. And in that regard, I think it did pretty well in explaining most of the concepts introduced and characterizing its important characters. More on Miguel later, but he, Dana, Aaron, and Tyler are pretty well developed and by the end you get a good feeling about what they're like. I like Miguel, but he's a bit too snarky. I mean, any time other characters would say something, he'd retort with something very snarky and dismissive. I tried to include them all so you'd get a good idea of what it's like to read the comic. It could be a good trait for Spider-Man, but you don't want it as much as a civilian. Maybe this was pre-DNA rewrite, and now it's a little different, and he won't be as so aggressively annoying. Tyler is so diabolically evil, but so far on a smaller scale than a genocidal maniac. More of a vindictive businessman. Which, you know, here and there can be more scary and deceptive. I don't mind doing a flashback and I actually like how they framed it of him being fed up with what's going on around him and goes into a story because he's reminded how he hasn't been journaling. It's like, I haven't journaled, try this. I like how real certain aspects of technology have gotten. The AI stuff is actually getting there. With the smart lights and exercise programs, we're not at the point where we have real holograms, but the movie Her has basically come to life because I saw an article the other day where there's a woman who married her AI companion. There's pictures of them together, but he doesn't have a physical being. What do you think? Did you read the comic? Let's continue our discussion on social media and the YouTube VOD. You can find me at Manjame Thunder on Twitter and at Team underscore Thunder on YouTube. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to and you want a broader look at DC Comics, check out Dawn of Pod, a Dawn of DC podcast on Spotify and anywhere you can find podcasts. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to and you want to hear more about Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, check out Water Damage in Aquaman Podcasts on Spotify and anywhere you can find podcasts. Manjume out.